0: I'm Erica. And I'm Jules. Most people have at least one thing that they can't or won't eat. Yeah, we're
1: definitely like that. We started this podcast to talk about the gluten-free food industry. Like new products and some of the stories behind your favorite brands. And
0: living life with a specialty diet and also some important healthcare topics. Since we're
1: basically both broken inside. You had me at eat. So, Eric, I guess what I had for breakfast? Well, uh, since I am not a mind reader, I have absolutely (laughs) no idea. You can make literally everything on the planet. So, my guesses would be infinite. Okay, all right, all right. We'll narrow it down for you. Um, I had overnight oats. Have you ever had them? Uh, yeah, I actually do make them a lot. Yeah. Love
0: them. And and you know, overnight oats are something that um, I think people don't think about in the hot months of the summer because they think oatmeal has to be served hot. But overnight oats are refrigerated, and they are so healthy. And that's why I really love them. They're also like ready you just pull them right out of the fridge yeah. but the other thing that overnight oats are cool about is that they um are even healthier than regular oatmeal because by being refrigerated they it creates this other resistant starch that's not there in just even regular oatmeal did you know that i didn't know but resistant starch is great for you good for the gut good for the gut and um you know we're both looking for that aren't we <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for yes. <laughs> looking for anything that's good for the gut. Yeah. Anyway. So that's what I had for breakfast. And I just wanted to tell, that, tell you that I just wanted to share. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I had. And Oh, you know what else you can turn overnight oats into waffles.
1: Yeah. I've seen that and it looks amazing. And I still have not done that, even though I have an amazing waffle maker. I don't know. A lot of
0: people think they can't have oats when they go gluten-free did you know that? Well, yes, you did. Yeah,
1: I did, actually. <laughs> like a lot of people were were raised on brow, right? So barley, rye, oats, and wheat. You can't have yep. any of those. Um, and only, you know, in the past few decades do we really understand about the processes with oats and that's the issue. But, um, yeah, when I was diagnosed, I was told that I could start with a quarter cup of gluten-free oats and move on from there because some celiacs 10% or so can't even tolerate oats period purity protocol or not. I'm sure we'll get into the word purity protocol, but gluten-free oats or not, the avenin just doesn't work with some celiacs, so yeah. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of oat research in the past few decades. Um, because yeah. if you find old school celiacs, you know, yeah, me old school celiac
0: over here, dark ages yeah. when I was yeah. diagnosed, yeah. I yeah. was definitely told I couldn't have oats. So you're lucky you got the quarter cup, I, I mean, did, you know, <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Um, yeah, no, I was absolutely told, and the, the reason was because the, the groat size, right, the oats themselves, um. If you were to look at them and compare them with barley or rye or um, wheat growth size, they look so similar. So if you're a farmer and you're going to go out there and farm and you're going to mill and harvest and Um, pack and everything, you're going to be efficient, right? So you're going to use all the same harvesting equipment for everything. And and, um, so they were just so cross-contaminated and had historically been so cross-contaminated that every time oats were tested, they tested positive for gluten because they were literally that cross-contaminated.
1: Can I I pause right there? I had no idea that it's because it was a similar growth size that they were using all the same equipment. Yeah. And I've been doing this for how long? Like <laughs> you've yeah. blown my mind today, Jules. That is a, a true legitimate fact that I had no idea was a thing, you know, only two minutes into this episode and my mind has already been blown.
0: Yeah. Well, it's pretty cool. It's, I mean, you, you just think about it. I mean, like efficiencies, right? Like it just makes yeah. sense, yeah. but that's literally why they, every time they tested, they, they were like, oh yeah, they contain gluten. But if you were to go back and look at the family the the, the grass family that oats yeah. come from it's a completely different grass family yeah. wheat barley and rye are in one grass family oats are in a completely different grass family so it makes sense that the protein that's in oats is not even the same it's an as you said it's avenins and wheat barley and rye are glutenins so they're not even the same so why would they have gluten and they don't um, but yeah 8% of celiacs cannot tolerate um, avenins different issue it's not celiac, but they just can't. Um, but for the rest of us, um, we can have, we can have oats and we should, because they're super healthy. I love and oats. I, I do too. Oatmeal cookies. Mm, love oatmeal
1: cookies. No. You yeah. hard stop at the raisins. I'm sorry.
0: No, no. I did not oh. say oatmeal raisin cookies. I said oatmeal cookies. Did Rewind, rewind. I just made like little Debbie oatmeal cream pies okay those are incredible put
1: raisins in them and they're so good like to be fair jules you kind of <laughs> seem like the person who'd put raisins in an oatmeal cookie okay well i have been known to do that before <laughs> but i
0: also make them without
1: raisins. yeah i love so, oatmeal chocolate cook chocolate chip okay. cookies but okay, you there's put no a reason raisin there me i'm out of that no
0: there's no reason to put anything in them no especially if you're making an oatmeal cream pie so any anyhow back to the subject of the matter which is that oats. Are amazing, and we should all be eating them. Except if you can't,
1: but except if you can't, and then <laughs> if don't you're eat gonna, them. <laughs> but, but if you're
0: going to eat them, you need purity protocol oats, which is what you alluded to earlier. And that is an oat that has been, you know, grown, harvested, milled, packed away from wheat, barley, and rye. And it's hard to find those because, as I said, you know, their efficiencies mean that you would be harvesting them and and growing them in an area that also has all these other
1: things in them that we can't have. And typically so, it's mechanically or optically sorted in the process. Mm, so yeah. you're using machines to mechanically separate which oats and and wheat are very similar in size as yeah. we just learned today. So you're you're that's going to be a very difficult thing to separate. Optically separation is this like way cool like laser beam eye that can mm-hmm. separate out Uh, an oat and a a wheat um, grain. And it's way cool, but it's still not as safe as purity protocol because it's grown in a a separate field that hasn't been used to grow wheat. I mean, the limitations on purity protocol are very strict, which is why a lot of people with celiac disease tend to use those oats because they're the safest oats uh, for people with celiac. So- Although
0: we know that the best oats for people with celiac disease are purity protocol oats, it can be really hard to find purity protocol oats. A lot of them are not available in typical grocery stores. And so, you know, it's something that can be hard for people to locate them. I mean, we have them on my site for that very reason, to make it available for people um, who are, you know, really trying to add oats back to their diet, Um But there are only a handful of brands really that are in the US that you can find that are purity protocol. And I know you have a favorite brand that you've worked with before,
1: right? Yeah, I actually like Zigo. It's owned by my friend Colleen. I've actually worked her booth at Expo West. So you might have seen me uh, on Instagram slinging her oats and trying to get more retailers and, uh, and grocery stores excited to carry your product because I just, I believe in it so much. So those are the oats that I use. I make, you know, my oatmeal every morning. I do, um, baked banana bread with oats in them. I do oatmeal cookies. I mean, I do everything with them. Um, I love them and I buy them in bulk and they're great. And they, um, double protein or something, right? Yeah. Something so they actually cool. are grown to have more protein. That's just this specific varietal or the way that it's grown or something. It's magic. Basically. I don't really understand <laughs> it, they but do. they typically have, um, double the protein of your standard oats. So, uh, they're great. They're raw. They're wholeless. Um, they're, they're great for pretty much any application and they're just a really good quality oat. That's very cool. Yeah, I've talked to
0: Colleen. She's like as passionate as I am about gluten-free baking. She's just passionate about anything to do with oats. <laughs> she's, yes,
1: she's yes. Like, let's talk oats. We yeah, should have her also, on. The show yeah, they're tested for glyphosate. They're tested for obviously mm-hmm. they're tested for allergens, but they're tested for glyphosate for heavy metals. So I really dig what she's doing as far as the transparency process in food, which she's a huge proponent of transparency in food, which is a whole nother topic. But as yeah, far as oats, yeah. we love her oats. We love her oat based products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh,
0: the other thing I want to make sure we mentioned before we get into this throwback episode, all about um, purity protocol oats and how they're grown and harvested, which I just think is fascinating. Um, but the the other thing I want to make sure people understand is we are not just talking about simple bowl of oatmeal here. Oats are in lots of other products. and yes. so this is something that rears its ugly head a lot because people people just think, oh, I'm in you know, I'm just gonna go buy a bag of oats. Well, you know, what about? you know, the oats as an ingredient in your cereal or other food products. You you do need to be aware that they are an ingredient in lots of other things and so you know erica and i harp on this all the time about everything but you always need to read labels for for everything for every reason under the sun um you know you as a consumer this is your obligation to you know take care of your own health and read all the labels no matter whether the product is gluten-free on it or not you still need to read the labels this is another example of why because even uh, whether the product says gluten-free or not, if it contains oats, the oats inside may or may not be purity protocol oats. And you need to make a decision as a consumer, if you have celiac disease or severe gluten sensitivity, whether or not you are going to seek out products that only contain purity protocol oats or not. And that is for you to decide um, for yourself.
1: And Yeah, and we make- can't make that decision or tell yeah. you what decision's right for you. I'll tell you that I don't specifically eat purity protocol oats outside of the oats that I have on a daily basis. If I eat out or if I eat a product that's pretty rare, I'm okay with things being labeled gluten-free, especially if they're certified gluten-free. I, you know, if it's just labeled gluten-free with no certifications and I get kind of sketched out by that. But also, I know that I can tolerate oats and I am understanding the amount of oats that I intake. Now, if I like oat milk and if I'm one of those people who want to get an oat milk latte every day outside the home, Ooh, you better be careful careful because you are just chugging oats at that point in time. So you have to be very careful about what oat milk you're choosing to have in your lattes or your iced whatever shenanigans (laughs) that you get that has like 18 bazillion grams of sugar in it. I know people like that and they're like, oh, oat milk, that's safe. And you're like, whoa, hold up. What oat milk are they using? How much are you drinking of it? I mean, that's it's a whole process. So oats are definitely not a simple, quick topic for someone with celiac disease, and again, Jewel, just just like Jewel said, I mean, it's not just oatmeal that you have every morning. Literally, everything has oats in it now. Um, new desserts that just launched have oats. They're made with oat milk ice cream, or you know, the pancakes that I had—they're pancake bites. They're made with oat milk inside of it. Gluten-free it's, Oreos, yeah, gluten-free Oreos. I mean, you guys, it's yeah. everywhere. So it's a definitely a, a, an interesting topic an intense topic that yeah. has fueled a lot of debate. Um, but right now specifically, we are talking about purity protocol oats, how they're grown. And we do have a throwback episode for you today. That's really interesting. Yeah, you know, Unfortunately, the person that we interviewed is no longer, you know, he sold the company. And so it, it's really interesting. We talked to him when he, um, had this amazing gluten-free oat company that was really specific on purity protocol and Jules will you know go into it in the interview. Uh, unfortunately he has sold his company. Um, but we just think it's such a great interview for you to hear kind of the story on why you know he decided to process gluten-free oats. And I just think it's a really interesting um throwback uh, throwback episode for you to listen to. I think you're gonna find it really interesting.
0: Yeah. And what he describes about how the purity protocol process works is extrapolated across the board to every company that grows purity protocol oats. So it's still quite relevant today. And again, really fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. He's he's such a great, such a great speaker on this topic. So we hope you enjoy. And if you have any questions about purity protocol oats, definitely um, shoot us a message because we'd love to answer more on future episodes.
0: Hey, it's Jules. And I just wanted to share a quick recipe with you using gluten-free purity protocol oats. I know you're going to love this recipe because it's so quick and easy and it's great year round, but especially in the summertime when you don't want to whip up oats that are hot, right? You just want some quick cold oats. They're so healthy and they're really, really easy and portable because you can put them in a Mason jar and just run out the door, which yes, I do that all the time. So these are gluten-free overnight oats and You're just going to need a pen because this is really complicated. It's one cup of oats and one cup of milk. Can you remember that? Yes. Yes, you can. It's so hard. Okay. You can also make two cups of oats and two cups of milk. Great. I know it's hard, right? Anyway, what we also do sometimes is we'll do a cup of oats with a cup of milk and then scoop a protein powder or a scoop of peanut butter powder, or maybe throw some cinnamon in whatever you like, but you just throw it in with a Mason jar with a lid on it in the refrigerator overnight. And the next day it's ready to go. And then you can obviously parse it out if you want to in smaller jars. The next fun thing is turn it into overnight oats, waffles, which is of course, my kid's favorite, because you can put syrup on it. Um, You just grab your overnight oats and then you take one and a quarter cup of the prepared overnight oats, add a third cup of my GF Jules all-purpose flour and one cup of milk or a protein drink. Stir that all up together and then throw it in your waffle iron and then you can add anything you want to to it. If you wanna add some honey or maple syrup to the actual batter to make it sweeter, you can, but you don't need to. And um, you're good to go. You have overnight oats waffles and you have overnight oats. Two recipes in two minutes. There you go.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules Shepard, and I'm pleased to have a wonderful guest on the show today who's going to help us all understand a little bit more about what it means when we hear the words gluten-free and oats in the same sentence together. I remember when I was first diagnosed with celiac disease back in the 90s, gluten-free you know, meant you couldn't have wheat, barley, rye, or oats. And the reason was because oats were so widely contaminated with these other gluten-free grains that people actually thought oats contained gluten themselves. And it took some time and, you know, some research, but they finally really figured out, and everybody's on the same page now. We all agree, naturally, oats are not gluten-containing grains. However, the reality is that the way that they're grown, processed, harvested, packaged, all of those things, they come into contact with gluten to such an extent that unless they are separated in every one of those processes, they are contaminated with gluten. So, if you pick up a package of oats and it doesn't say, you know, that they are gluten-free on them, those are contaminated oats. And it's very confusing for people, particularly in the beginning of a gluten-free diet, to understand, you know, well, I don't understand how am I supposed to tell which ones are safe and which ones are not. So, Um, With that in mind, and also with the fact that there are some companies now who are manufacturing products with oat flour and they are not necessarily using oats that are grown in this segregated way that we'll be talking about. You know, people are are really super confused, understandably, with what is safe when you have celiac disease or have gluten sensitivity and you're trying to feed your family something wonderful and wholesome and and fiber-rich and nutrient-rich like oats. How do you do it? How do you do it safely? So I'm super excited to have on the show somebody who's far more expert than I on this particular topic, and that is Seton Smith. And he is the, I don't know, I go to him with questions about oats whenever I have them. He is the guru of oats, in my opinion. I met Seton um, probably six years ago at the Gluten Intolerance Group of North America conference in Seattle when I was speaking, and in between lectures, somehow um, I came in contact with Seton, and my my husband was just absolutely enamored with him because of his passion about what he does, which you're going to hear today about growing gluten-free oats, and I don't want to spoil it, but he has done some amazing things, he and his family, to really set their company apart in the gluten-free oat world, and he's going to tell us all about that and then also get into... And you know, really, how do we determine as consumers what's safe? So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Seton. Thank you so much for coming to, onto the show today.
3: Well, thank you, Jules. I am really honored to be here and really excited to be able to give back to others on a gluten-free diet. That's been sort of our motto since we started this. Uh, I mean, it's so important that I help you out and how everybody else out that I actually am in the field right now, um and Forrest is driving the combine for me for a short pit, uh stint but um that that's as important as this is to me is to be able to share that so um, so you're
2: actually in the field taking this um this radio show on it from your truck in your field yeah
3: I'm in my executive office right now. Uh, with my Gatorade here to quench my thirst, wonderful. And hop on the combine as soon as we get done.
2: <laughs> that's, that's well. Thank you. I, I don't want to take you away from your your important job, which is providing all of us <laughs> with wonderful oats. But thank you for taking some time out of your busy day today. You mentioned forest and. For those who don't know, Forrest was actually the original founder of the company. Forrest is Seton's son. Can you tell us, Seton, just a little bit about how the company came to be and what you know how Forrest you know, started the company and, and why? I think this is a really fascinating story.
3: Well, yeah, that's a cool, really, story, and it helps set the stage on why we do this. Um, I'll go back to sort of the beginning. Forrest was two years old, um, and that was in 1990. And the doctors didn't know what was going on um they had pretty much given up you know a lot of hope uh they were getting ready to do exploratory surgery as a lot of people listening may be in this same dilemma and um really didn't have an idea where we're at um Finally, we got with a dietitian, identified what it was and um the uh they put on put him on a wheat free diet in the hospital wow. and um You know, as as the terrible twos, uh, we didn't have that with him. He'd fall asleep in his dinner plate. Um, We had to hold his head up for his first um, haircut, which most boys don't want. And uh, so we really, you know, sort of got indoctrinated pretty early in 1990 when there was nothing out there. Uh, Gluten-free really wasn't cool then. Um, (laughs) I remember learning, learning about that through a CSA conference. And, um, one of the things that stuck with us at that point was the comment that they, one lady told us is teach him what he can have, not what he can't have and teach yeah. him what he can do and not, and, rather than what he can't do. And that's been yeah. sort of our motto through that. Um, so Forrest has always been focused on giving back. Um, the Celiac support or that group is really ones that want to help each other. So. Uh, As he got into high school, he's involved in FFA for Future Farmers of America, and he was charged to come up with an ag-related business, and we live in rural Wyoming uh, by Yellowstone. Then he said, Dad, I've never had an oatmeal cookie. I've never been able to eat Grandma's apple crisp at Thanksgiving. What's it taste like? And then he said, is there a way we can see if oats, you know, is it oats or is it the um, the wheat that's in the oats, because uh, I come from a farming background and understood it as a kid, um, and I said, "Well, let's do some research." And in in 2004, there was sort of this this thought that maybe it's the process and not the grain, like you mentioned earlier. Started this out all on our kitchen table with a flaker, and originally I thought you do a you it's just an assignment for him to get a good grade and to be over with. And um, we, uh, again, believe and give them back. So we had our own support group here, uh, first gluten-free diet in the area, Powell and Cody. And we thought, well, well, we'll serve them, and it'll be over at the end of the year. And uh, one thing led to another. We got invited to a show in Casper. Uh, there was a doctor from the East Coast and an author from the West Coast. They saw our product and took it to both um, coasts. And then the door started to open. And mm. so we figured out that the kitchen table wasn't big enough. And so we <laughs> people wanted this stuff, the gr- didn't
2: they? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean it was it literally uh Forrester would go to school and he'd come home and he would grind all night long and or till late in the evening and then I'd take over and then the next day we'd put it in boxes and ship them out. And uh so we we went through and remodeled our garage so that it would be FDA-approved, and we moved into that new facility, I'll call it. and then. Well, uh,
2: well backing up yep. a second, where did, where did you get these oats? Did you grow these oats yourself, or did you buy them from someone who had a dedicated space, or, or how, did, how did you get those first oats?
3: Well, the very first oats, we bought a, a sack of stabilized groats, and we put them out on the table and went through and painstakingly picked them out. And then then as we decided it was time to go into this processing, um, literally we sold our camper to buy our first 10 acres of oats. And um, that's where we, we knew where it was planted. We knew what seed went into it. We knew what equipment was in there. We walked the field. So there was no cross-contamination opportunities.
2: Mm-hmm. So Well, and and walk us through that just a little bit. You know, when you said... First of all, the, the first oats you sat and you picked through them, and then you had the the fields that you were growing yourself, and you walk the fields. Can you see when you walk the fields? Can you see when you're looking at them on a table? How, how to someone who's never done this before? How do you determine which is the oat and which is the wheat or the barley or the rye? Do they look a lot alike? Are they are they very similarly sized? Are they often you know found in the same fields? What what does that look like?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. The um... In the field, an oat head, well, a wheat, rye, and barley head is similar to a fiber optic nightlight. You know how they stand straight up and shine really bright? Yeah. And an oat head sort of hangs its head down. It sort of is a groupy ah. head. Uh-huh. So um, what we've learned is we get out and, and then we grow a variety of oats that's about six inches shorter than normal oats, which is then shorter than wheat, rye, and barley. So this is what fascinated
2: was, my husband because he said they yeah. grow special oats so that they're shorter <laughs> and you can see the wheat, rye, and barley in the in the field, which I I was so novel to me. It was just such a brilliant idea. I'm like, why doesn't everybody do that? But that's so fantastic.
3: So so we and we figured out when we can go to the field and um, see the shine the best. And um, I mean, so we inspect every field and um, you know all of the equipment that you can. You can identify those out of there because the thing I tell people is as long as the birds fly and the deer do their business in our field and that little old lady feeds those birds the bird seed, which has wheat, rye, and barley in it, um, there's going to be volunteer wheat, rye, and barley in the field. So you've got to make sure you're out there in the field watching that. Uh, Then once it gets to the table, I'll go back to the beginning, there is a difference in the size and shape of them the hard part is when you're trying to once you train your eye you can see it Um, but if you're passing through you know a mill at really a good mill will do 8,000 pounds of seed an hour so if you do a a pound of seed is about oh I think it's 20,000 kernels so um, for you to look through 20,000 of those, you know, you know, for 40,000 or yeah, um, 8,000 pounds an hour, that's a lot of seeds to pay attention to. Yeah. So my analogy is... So you pretty is, quickly I take, figured
2: out that that wasn't the way to go.
3: <laughs> right. I, I visualize it. I take my whole crop and lay it out on this big table, which I'm looking over right now, and I'm able to inspect it for three or four times before as it's maturing. And mm-hmm. we can pick it out, or if there's a problem, I can actually mow it down so it doesn't get in there.
2: Wow! Uh, so the and the the oats that you grow that are about six inches shorter. How long did it take you to find that variety? And is that pretty common in uh, commonly available now in those who are growing gluten free oats? Or is, are you doing something a little different? Um, what is what's that
3: like? Well, we worked very closely with um, a local grower here, Mike Foreman, and then also Wyoming Seed Certification. Um, I learned a long time ago, I tapped into people that are experts. Um, the Wyoming Seed Certification and, and the uh, um, certification lab here actually had worked on this um, oat. Um, their focus was a different focus. It was for not lodging and better foliage for cattle feed.
2: Well, So and, it's and not it a CMO the... product. Yeah, it's a non-GMO, yeah. That's uh-huh. that's really, I'm sure that that'll put a lot of people at ease as well to know that. Mm -hmm. But how handy that it makes it easier for you to walk the fields and to see if you've got any strays um, from the bird seed or other things, as you mentioned. Well, so backing up, and I think I I interrupted you earlier when you started to say that you outgrew your garage. Can you finish that story? Like how how long had you been going when you outgrew your garage and the demand had presented itself that people were really interested in in having a a truly gluten-free oat product and you needed more than just your kitchen table in your garage?
3: Well, it was probably about, oh, a year into it, we realized that this is not going to work. And so um, we went in and, and, again, really with a focus to serve others on a gluten-free diet because that we were the first company in the United States to offer a certified, dedicated, gluten-free oatmeal. So we, um, we invested in, in a 4,200-square-foot building and... Um, had that in progress, and we're three days from what we call closing it in, and a microburst came through and blew it over. Oh my um, gosh. I mean, just demolished it. Um, we just really just tipped it over on its side. And so we, um, you know, just sat back and said, said, okay, definitely. all right, Lord. <laughs> Lord, yeah. what do you want us to do next? And uh, it was amazing that next weekend there was about 25 men from around that showed up and helped us tear it apart and we sat down with the builder and said okay how do we make this a win-win and again focusing on what is the right thing to do and the way to come out of this without getting mad or you it know, was anything nothing he did wrong and so um, Paul came back out and helped us reskin it um, if we wouldn't have that gluten-free oats or GF harvest would have been done then
2: so, so you you had a an old fashioned barn raising.
3: Yes, exactly. <laughs> a bunch of good Baptist came out and did a barn raising.
2: <laughs> yeah! Wow, that's fantastic! What a story! Well, I'm glad so, that it worked out because we wouldn't, like you said, we wouldn't have the gluten free oats today. So you were the first dedicated gluten free oat company um, in the U.S. Or was, are there people going on in Canada at the same time, or, or what was what was the situation there?
3: In U.S., um, the we were the one that was first um, certified and was able to do a stabilized um, oat seed. Um, mm-hmm. You've got to heat it correctly, otherwise it goes rancid. Um, so again, um, we were owned and operated by Celiac. We understood what it feels like to be cross-contaminated. So. We are a little bit of a different animal in the fact that we control it from planting all the way to package.
2: Right. So. And, and you mentioned certification. Can you tell the folks who are listening who, you know, don't know as much as you and I do because all of our products have to be, you know, certified from the gluten-free certification organization, um, what does that mean for you? What's entailed with that and and how much work is involved on your end to make sure that you actually do meet the specifications for a gluten-free seal?
3: Oh, it's massive. Um, But I look at it as, I want the trust of everybody listening and all my clients um, to know that it's not just Seaton or our family saying, we think this is gluten-free. Um, we have GFCO that um, comes in and audits our facility. They uh, will pick up our product off the shelf or it shows. They'll do random tests on it. I want to over-test, and if there's an issue or a failure, I want to fail in my house and not on your table in your bowl of oatmeal.
2: No kidding. So uh,
3: we are uh, organic certified, kosher certified, and GFCO certified, which that means the FDA is allowing 20 parts per million now um, right. is what their new vision is. And our, to be certified by GFCO, we have to be 10 parts per million. And that's something a lot of times when we go to shows, people don't really understand, can't picture what that parts per million is. So yeah. they're the mental picture I do is that um if you were to try and picture that um I'm trying to see see my list of um picture uh, trying to find 10 pennies out of $10,000 worth of pennies or plucking 20 single minutes out of 2 years mm-hmm. or picking 20 dimes out of a mile high stack of pennies or another one, you know, and those are just sort of examples and we have to be t- twice that cost. So right. the corners of the trucks, we get in, any truck that hauls into it, we climb into it and literally we used to have these, we call them little dental picks, but they're um, little hooks. And we would go up and down the corners because we knew as that truck drove to the field, If it had been used for a gluten crop, it's going to hit a hole, and that one kernel is going to shake out, and it could contaminate that whole truck or the bearing in the auger or the grain bin, the bolt on the grain bin. So that's how detailed we are and focused Mm -hmm. towards it.
2: Yeah, I think it's really helpful, as you say, to, to sort of visualize it, you know, 10 pennies in, you know, this huge stack of pennies. I think that's, you know, it's it's good to imagine that out of 10 pennies out of $10,000. That's a lot of, you know, <laughs> pennies and to be able to mm-hmm. pick 10 out. And and I think that's really helpful for people. And just to clarify, if, if a product, oats or otherwise, has the GFCO certification, the one that says GF and then around it it says certified gluten-free, that comes from the Gluten-Free Certification Organization. And the standard for that is that the product that bears that label has to have less than 10 parts per million gluten. And that's, again, this goes back to the penny analogy or um, the others that, that you offered with minutes and, and out of years. Um, so it's it's a pretty high standard. And the FDA, when they issued their... Uh, gluten-free food labeling regulations and that were finalized last August in 2014, that standard, in order for something to be labeled gluten-free in the United States, it has to have less than 20 parts per million of gluten. So the standard is twice as rigorous in in that regard. So if you see something that's certified gluten-free, you can rest assured that it's certainly below 20 parts per million, but it's going to be below 10 as well. And Mm -hmm. so you're saying that you have that certification on on your products and then you know i guess the other part of of what you're describing that i think is really fascinating for people to understand is that where where gfco and others take the product from which they're testing and the gfco is an independent certification organization. So they don't rely upon Seaton or upon me to test our own products, and we, we do that ourselves anyway, but they test as well and then come in and audit and do things, you know, that are overseeing. Now, there are other folks who do not have the certifications on their products, and they are thing themselves and saying we are telling the customer that we are meeting the less than 20 parts per million standard, but they don't have an independent organization that comes in and tests for them. And you and I have talked before about this, Seton. Um, You know, what does that look like in the gluten-free oats space when there are manufacturers who are selling something that is maybe not grown to the rigors and specifications that, that you follow in terms of, you know, what's called a purity protocol where it's manufactured um, or it's grown in a dedicated environment and processed and harvested and all of those things in undedicated equipment. That's the purity protocol. What what are other ways that other companies are manufacturing something that can be labeled gluten-free and is labeled gluten-free in this country, as less than 20 parts per million.
3: Well, there's a couple things uh, uh, that's going on right now. There's some mills that will actually take a, what I call a traditional oat mill that's doing, uh, commodity purchased oats, on Monday through Thursday, and then on Friday they say we clean it down and we're going to do gluten free oats that day. They may have tested the seed coming in, they may test it at the other end. Um, and they're doing a statistical analysis of that feed to say it's on the other side of it. The thing I, I caution everybody is remember that that same elevator, that same green bin, that same roller just rolled oats that they knew was above 20 parts per million. So that scares me to death. Um, you know, we, by us um, walking the fields, understanding that we're not relying on Statistics at the end, we are not relying on one piece of equipment to say, you know, again, in that massive amount of seed going through there to be able to pick out wheat, rye, and barley. And, I mean, there was a test done um, quite a while back, but it was on uh, Quaker Oats. And they were running, um, some of theirs was 1,800 to uh, 2,500 parts per million on a bowl of oatmeal don't understand is the same combine that I'm watching go through the field right now can go from here over to a wheat and harvest it without any changes. They just drive into it. Um, So the cross-contamination issues from the combine to the auger to the farmer's bin, back to the truck to the co-op, from the co-op into a rail car, from the rail car into that mill that does maybe barley or wheat or any other ones those cross-contamination issues. And and if I get to the end of my line and I stab, take a probe and stick it into these super sacks or 2,000 pounds, you're playing on the statistics to say, if there was weed in there, I found it, and I'm going to tell you about it. And where I, I literally stack the deck as hard as I can against myself to fail in the field. Before the truck can unload, it has to go through a... Um, gluten test. Uh, We do a visual on it also, and then we do a moisture and thin before we can even let the truck start to unload. Um, And if it doesn't pass that, we reject it. Um, The plus is we've put the effort in in the field and have had to reject very few of them.
2: The companies that are now buying oats that are not grown and Harvested and processed using this purity protocol that you know that your company does and and some others now do as well, where everything is dedicated and certainly cuts down on the possibility of contamination. The companies that are instead buying regular oats, let's call them, they're not they're not grown in any sort of special environment. They're not you know, there's no dedicated equipment involved. How do those companies then? those oats that could be as heavily contaminated as your Quaker oats example that you gave a minute ago and render them, quote, gluten-free, like under 20 parts per million? How, how? What would be the steps that they take to do that? How is that possible? And then what's the testing to be sure that it actually is under 20 parts per million?
3: Well, I can't speak for exactly what they're doing, but the The information I've seen um, that's published is that they're using a mechanical means to separate that. And, you know, with our own mill, I'm very familiar with um, the oat processing equipment. And I do know of a couple pieces of equipment that are designed to try and pick different kinds of seeds out by length or size or optics. Um, But the success ratio of that is, is getting better. But, again, I'm not willing to risk my cross-contamination to just that one machine. I want to make sure that um, I'm starting with the purest product going in, and if I put one of those machines in, I'm just going to make – that's my safety net, not my only net. Right. So that's where I look at it is. um, Then at the other end, um, there's two different kinds of tests. They can do what they call a quick. Um, or ELISA-R5, which is the ELISA-R5 is one of the toughest tests to do. It uh, needs a full laboratory, and it's about a three-hour test. Um, we we do both of those because, again, I want to make sure there's no, um, no mistakes. And then we also ask independent labs to recheck us because I, I want to make sure that I don't make a mistake because the worst thing I could do is have somebody get cross-contaminated And I understand what it feels like to do that.
2: Well, and and backing up, and I don't think we actually got into this at the beginning, but Forrest isn't the only celiac in your family, is he?
3: No, I'm a celiac. My wife is, my mother-in-law, my cousin, my niece, and my aunt uh, and sister-in-law. So uh, those are all diagnosed. Uh, We've got diabetes on both sides. So um, really, we started this company not as, wow, this is a great business plan and we're going to make a bunch of money. We started this to say, let's give back to others on a gluten-free diet. Um, you know, our whole motto for our company is our celiac family is serving yours. And we believe in that to the point where we actually allocate time or put into our budget of, of man hours. is time to help consult people because um, until you've been diagnosed with a d- gluten um uh, diagnosis you don't understand what how do you how do you feed yourself um what the emotional trauma is i still remember coming home from the hospital standing there in front of the pantry as a young couple with our first child just barely making ends meet and looking at our pantry and say i got to throw all this food away because it all has weed in it and saying uh we don't have time to cook from scratch and just in tears and thinking we're going to fail and um, so we really want to give back, and that's really the whole motto of the company, is how can we help others?
2: Well, and in a situation where a company would be making a decision about whether to buy oats that are as dedicated as yours clearly are, uh, gluten-free from, you know, moment one, and you test and test and test and and, you know, track and test and test again, versus regularly grow notes, and then they use a mechanical separation process or an optical sorter, what would be the I guess, the price difference for a company that's deciding which oats they want to buy for their products, if they want to sell something that's going to be labeled gluten-free. And so they're looking at these two processes, like what would be the difference between buying your dedicated oats and just buying regular oats off the market? Is there a percentage difference in price that you you know can kind of ballpark? I'm just wondering what the 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 amount <laughs> that you put into it, how much more expensive your oats must be.
3: Well, we're, we're competitively closed, but again, um, I'd I invest a, the time and the effort to give you a good product. If it's a company looking at making something granola, a cupcake or something like that, the question I ask them is, is that five or ten cents a pound difference if it's that much? Is that worth a product recall? And for the mother that's feeding their child? Is that 5 or 10 cents difference worth the struggle? Because I remember that struggle of trying to figure out, does our son have flu? Um, Did he get food poisoning? Um, Is it just a phase in his life? Or did he get cross-contaminated? That's such frustration to me is, what's that worth to you?
2: Yeah. Well, and all of us who have celiac ourselves or have someone in our family who has celiac or gluten sensitivity, there's nothing worse then the feeling you get after you've had something that was contaminated or you've given that to your loved one, um, you know, I would go yeah. above and beyond any opportunity I had certainly to avoid it or to avoid giving that to a loved one with celiac. So the, I guess the choice that the companies are facing now is, you know, what what do they – what do they do if they want to serve the gluten-free market and they want to use gluten-free oats? Is there Are there enough gluten-free, like, purity protocol gluten-free oats out there? Is this something that you see more and more growers going to, you know, migrating towards, or are more and more companies instead just saying, we're going to buy regular oats and we're just going to do the best we can do?
3: Well, I would say up until lately it's been – the latter, um, there's a few mills that are going after it that are trying, um, but as popularity of any kind of product goes, um, there's a couple new mills that came into the market, um, three of them I know for sure, that really are saying, wow, can we try and hit these numbers? Um, they have good intention. I, I mean, I, I commend them for that. My question is, is, is consumers or purchasers for products. Is that a, is that a, are you stepping over a dollar to uh, pick up a dime or is it a true risk reward uh, analysis that really would help you along? And that's for each person. Um, I mean, if you have a gluten intolerance, uh, similar to slight hay fever, it may not bother you to have, again, you're doing a statistical analysis. You're not getting the depth that we have. Um, but if you are truly a gluten intolerant person and really want to be on a strict gluten free diet, my recommendation that you don't eat anything without the GFCO certified logo on it, because you know that we're all being held accountable.
2: Yeah, and and it's not something you can control. For the uh, for the listeners to understand what that means is that if, for example. Seaton was to produce oats that did not pass the 20, the ten parts per million or less test with GFco if for some reason those were already on the market and they do their random audits and tests and that that had come above ten parts per million that GFco has the right um, under the contract that we as as producers sign with them to um, issue a recall of those products that's, and that's they yeah, and and so it's de- there's definitely oversight, and there's definitely choices that we cannot make once we've decided we're going to participate in this program, which is very helpful. You know, I, one other issue that I hear a lot about um, Seton in in my you know social media and, and people who contact me at shows and things is some people will say I can't tolerate oats, and I'll say, H- you know, have you tried more than one brand of oats
3: mm-hmm. and
2: usually they'll say, no, I tried, you know, whatever, Bob's Red Mill or whatever's out on the market and really easy to, to find. Can you speak a little bit to the two issues there? One, that maybe those are not are not oats that are grown with the purity protocol. And two, the different types of oats that are out there that different growers will grow that maybe have different um, levels of of avenans in them, or other things that might be reactive for people that would you know so people understand that that there is truly a difference between even brands of oats because of the way that that they are grown and harvested, et cetera, but also because of the type of oats themselves,
3: yeah, they believe that ninety five to ninety eight and a half percent of us can tolerate a pure oat in our diet. Um, so there's going to be 25 to 5% of us that may not be able to accept that internet our diet. I look at that in two ways. is um, It may be, it's not the oats. I may be allergic to the oats, no different than a person who's allergic to lactose or peanuts or something else like that. So is it a, a, um, a, a you know, the protein reaction of my body towards that seed or is it an allergic reaction to the oat itself. So that's a, a pretty heavy discussion that hasn't really not been, um, an answer hasn't been put out there. Um, there is some studies on um, different varieties of oats. Um, they're pretty much the same. There's naked oats, hullless oats, um, and they're doing some studies to see is one variety less susceptible to that 25 or 5%. Um, those studies are going on right now. Um, I have not seen a conclusion to say yes. If it's not of this variety, don't eat it at all. So uh, I can't give you a definite. You want you want Joe Blow's product with this variety only. And if you don't eat that, then you're going to get in trouble.
2: I encourage people to you know oats are so healthy. <laughs> yeah, you know, the fiber, the nutrients in oats, and it opens up such a great opportunity in a gluten-free diet, which is already somewhat limited, to be able to mm-hmm. add oats, not just as oatmeal or oatmeal cookies, but grinding the oats and making them into oat flour. It's a fantastic baking ingredient and super, super nutrient-rich. So those of you who are listening, if you have tried a brand of oats and maybe it, you did it did not agree with you, and of course, this is after you, if you have celiac disease, after you have been rechecked and your levels are, are good with your doctor, then the, that's the point where they say to introduce the oats slowly because they they do have a lot of fiber and sometimes can upset your um, gastrointestinal <laughs> tract just because of the fiber amount if you're not used to it. But um, yeah. it, all that being said, um, you know, if you've tried a brand and have not, it has not agreed with you, don't write oats off altogether necessarily. You may want to try another brand of oats. There may be a, a different strain of oats or or certainly, as you've heard today, um, 35 minutes worth of <laughs> discussions on how oats are grown and the various opportunities for them to go wrong um, in certain environments. So you may want to try another brand. And there are more and more brands out there that are now available. And the other question that I have is some people... Are interested in different types of oats, you know, steel cut oats, instant versus regular oatmeal, oat flour. Um, you know, I believe you all offer all of those products as well in this that are all grown according to this purity protocol.
3: That is correct, yes. Um, we and- go through that. We also have ready to eat oatmeal cups um, that are under the Canyon Oats label, and we actually separate one line in a pure line, which is a Nut free. Ours is all peanut free, and we have a a nut free, um, which we uh, offer uh, tree nuts, which we almonds, coconut, and uh, walnuts. But we have separate equipment for that. So we are trying to serve a whole gamut of anybody with uh, intolerances for their diet.
2: And how would people find out more about your products, Seton?
3: They can go to our website at gfharvest.com.
2: Well, I cannot thank you enough for hopping off the combine and coming in to talk to us today. I think this has been an extremely informative conversation. I hope folks have learned a little bit about all of the different ways that oats could fit in their diets, but maybe also ways that um, they could go wrong with oats if they've had problems in the past. Maybe it's because they're not grown under the purity protocol, or maybe it's a different strain of oats that they should be trying another brand. There are certainly differences between the way your company and others produce their oats and the difference between the pure oat um environment and the mechanical separation at the very end and there are problems that are possible and so you know folks really need to make the decision for themselves about whether or not that um, is right for them. It's a risk that's worth, worth taking. As you said, you know, maybe someone with gluten sensitivity can tolerate a little bit more um, than another. Some people with gluten sensitivity are extremely sensitive and cannot tolerate any cross-contamination. But that's a choice that everyone needs to make for themselves and for their family, but you can't make it without the facts. And that's why I so right. appreciate you coming on today and giving us the backstory about you know oats, <laughs> where they come from, how they're grown, and, and a little bit more about you know your family's dedication to the gluten-free community and also to um producing a really safe quality product for all of us to enjoy and I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> I love your oats. I've been buying your oats since um we met you back 6 years ago I guess it was. Um we sell oats on our website and they're your oats <laughs> and I'll say that now because I certainly am not an oat grower but they're um You know, it's a wonderful product. I believe in it. And, um, you know, we try to make it available for people however we can. So thank you again so much for your time.
3: Thank you for your time and the opportunity to share this with the community.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much.